I am big. It's the picture that got small. Welcome back to your brand new episode of Two Please. I'm your host Abid, and I'm your co-host Rohit. And today we're talking about the Mummy, the 1991, 1999 one. Yeah, not the not the 2017 one starring Tom Cruise. We will talk about that, but that's not what this episode is about. Yeah. Also, the reason that we wanted to sort of talk about the Mummy was, you know, triggered by the fact that uh, the Indiana Jones movie is releasing or has released this week to yeah. By the time mid-link reviews, out, sure. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it would have made sense to uh, do an episode on an indie movie, but uh, obviously, for that very reason, we've decided not to do an episode on an Indiana Jones because uh, expectations subverted, and we're doing an episode on the Mummy instead, uh, which is like I mean, mentioned a 1999 movie directed by Stephen Sommers, starring Brendan Fraser, uh, Arnold Vosloo, uh, Rachel Weisz. Patricia Vela Squares, and then you have Oded Fur, uh, and uh, Hannah Murray. No, not Hannah Murray. Jonathan. I forget the guy who. Uh, John Hannah. The guy in row. John Hannah. Sorry, yeah, mm. I got my names mixed up there. Yeah, John mm. Hannah, and a bunch of other supporting characters. I'm forgetting the name of the guy who played Benny. He's integral to uh, the movie, but I don't read. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin J. O'Connell. O'Connell. Yeah, Connor. Yes, Connor. Connor. Oh, yeah, O'Connor so, because Rick O'Connell is the mm. character. That's how I remember it. But anyways, so uh, before we dive into the movie, uh, I mean, we're going to talk about, uh, because I, I'm sure for both of us, this is one of the earliest, you know, those action adventure sort of swashbuckling movies that we'd watched. So there's that aspect yeah. to discuss. I also want to talk about how Egypt has been represented in the movie and in, in movies in general. I want to spend some time on that. So there's a lot of sort of, you know, angles to look at this movie uh, but before we do that let's start the show on may 7th oh my god it does exist universal pictures presents a world you never imagined i called the doorway to hell a mystery you never expected this man was buried alive and an adventure you will never forget Starts Friday at theaters everywhere. All right. Now, uh, like Rohit mentioned, this we're recording this the week after Dial of Destiny hit theaters. Now, I watched the Dial of Destiny and I kind of had a lot of fun with it. I, on the official entry, I would say this is possibly the fourth best film on there. I mean, I have this love-hate relationship with with Temple of Doom. I know this is the Mummy episode and I know we should be talking about the Mummy, but I'm going to spend a quick five minutes talking about Dial of Destiny or even shorter, maybe two, three minutes. But yeah, I'm going back into uh, the Indiana Jones bit. Uh, I have this love-hate relationship with Temple of Doom. It was the first Indiana Jones film I'd ever seen. I loved it when I first watched it. Uh, since then, the um, the depiction of India in the, 18, in the 1900s has kind of bothered me a little bit. Uh, I think it's 
compared to the other two is a fairly darker movie if you think about it because it's a thuggy cult and some of the imagery is is pure nightmare fuel doesn't yeah. help that amrish puri is the bad guy in this movie because it just further accentuates um the the nightmare part of it because he terrified us as children throughout the 90s so imagine seeing him rocking up in this and being like oh shit not again so there's a lot i like about that movie but there's a lot that i don't like about that movie but i still say the trilogy remains fairly untouched this is a good fourth entry this is uh, it's a good time is james mangold is always dependable i did watch kingdom of the crystal skull after i watched dial of destiny and that was uh, a slog to get through it felt like i was watching uh, an entire film that was shot in a studio when in fact it was shot on location so it looks like it looks really bad as well uh so i'd still say that unofficially the mummy is the best sequel to the indiana jones franchise since its inception nice way to bring it back yeah i agree i feel uh, in spirit it carries on that same feeling that you get when you watch an indiana jones movie or i i would say you know indiana jones is probably the prime example of that sort of movie these are your basic you know swashbuckling movies it's not like uh spielberg invented the genre right you've had this no. sort of uh you've had from the days of say an errol flynn in the early 30s you've had uh him playing i think sinbad or one of these pirates and you know uh larger than life your your protagonist is larger than life your your plot mm-hmm. is fairly straightforward i think one of the characteristics of uh these sort of action adventure movies are that characters are very black and white you know yeah. right off the bat who to root for and who to root against that that you know they don't deal in these nuances of uh of human saying hey you know people are gray and all of that stuff it's like hey good mm-hmm. guy great guy whatever you know does mm-hmm. everything right can't put a foot wrong uh pitched against an outright bad guy i think where this the drama or the enjoyment of these kind of movies comes from the fact that how equally matched are are the antagonist and the protagonist right those those yeah. cat and mouse games are what really keep you on the edge of your seat mm-hmm. and uh, like i mentioned so it, it's not the first of its kind indie uh, indiana jones has done it as well probably the best arguably the best of in that entry but i would say in terms of sheer enjoyment yeah if you weren't looking to you know nitpick uh the aspects of the movie i would say mummy is right up there in terms of enjoyment i mean that's my first impression or the main takeaway from having watched at least the first of the uh, first two movies mummy and mummy returns i'm i'm not going to really talk about tomb of the dragon emperor or uh, or the 2017 remake but the first two movies and especially the first one is uh, like pure unadulterated fun yeah i think that's what the film was trying to go for um now Let's kind of delve into the history of the film a little bit. Now, the mummy is one of Universal Pictures' biggest, like, iconic monsters, right? You've had um, uh, it began their whole uh, monster franchise began with the mummy back in 1932, yeah. where they had Boris Karloff playing the mummy, uh, and I think he. The story is relatively the same compared to the uh, 1999 version, but with a few changes. One is that. they discover imhotep who is played by boris karloff in the lost city of hamanaptra and they awaken him but and then he ends up driving the guys who discovered him crazy and goes on to live in society as uh, as a dude named ardith bay 
and then he happens to come across this woman who he believes to be the reincarnation of his long lost love anaksuna moon so he then decides to hatch a ploy to um, kill her and then re- and resurrect his long lost lover and you have the good guys trying to stop it now that's the the skeletal structure of that story is taken and placed in uh into the 1999 version and i think up until that movie got made universal had been floating around the idea of a reboot and in the 80s they were looking at uh rebooting it as a slow burn like a horror film i think george romero was once upon a time attached to this he was supposed to remake it when he was a hot com- commodity but that didn't end up materializing and i think in the 90s as films got bigger uh the studio was like okay maybe we could do something and turn this into an action adventure film and uh they had one directive that it remain pg13 they didn't want a lot of blood they want to scare people but still bring audiences to the theaters and the script landed uh in front of stephen somers who had done another movie called deep rising i think a year prior it's not very good didn't do uh well commercially or critically but uh, it has uh, developed a cult following since a lot of people have described that movie as uh, as aliens in on a boat because it's a bunch of guys who show up on this boat and the boat is uh, is on a ship rather and the ship is completely empty the crew is, is is missing and then they realize that they're not alone there's something with them in there so uh steven somers was brought in to direct and um they got Brendan Fraser they got Rachel Weisz and like the stars the stars that you mentioned at one point uh, Leo DiCaprio was attached to this he really liked the script but he couldn't do it uh I, because i think he was tied down to the beach and in uh, he said he didn't have the dates ultimately the beach got delayed but this movie went without him i think Matt Damon Ben Affleck and Tom type of sand <laughs> yeah the he just i mean this is a movie where famously rick o'connor doesn't die in the end and that wasn't uh, leonardo dicaprio's brand at the time so yeah <laughs> and uh, he uh, i think tom cruise at this point was also offered the film but turned it down and then but decided to rectify that mistake yeah exactly right so all of that happened brendan fraser who is i wouldn't say he was the biggest star in the world at that point but he was definitely like his stock had risen he had george of the jungle the year prior he'd had uh, airheads he'd done a bunch of um pretty successful hollywood studio like studio movies so yeah. his he would definitely seem like a hot commodity uh, and rachel wise i believe was the only choice for this role uh, and she plays evelyn carnahan who apparently like I think her this her surname is taken from the guy who actually uncovered uh, Tutankhamun's no, tomb. Not Carter, the guy who sponsored uh, Howard Carter, Lord Canaveral. So Carnahan oh, comes Canaver- from Lord Canaveral. Yeah. Oh, Canaveral is the one who sponsored it, is it? Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Now, now. So that, I mean, he was correct. he was an amateur Egyptologist who was very rich, and he was like, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna fund somebody's expedition and take credit for it." So. but then thankfully howard carter got equal credit but anyway i'm i'm going to address this point a little, little bit i was going to ask you whether her surname is uh, inspired by that but thankfully you brought it up yourself but yes yeah, so that's that's the reference done okay <laughs> now uh, the movie is pretty straightforward there's a bunch of archaeologists and treasure hunters looking for the lost city of hamunaptra because 
there's a lot of treasure that's meant to be buried there. And they ultimately end up awakening this 3,000-year-old mummy by reading from the Book of the Dead. And he, again, much like the 1932 version, is on a quest to uh, resurrect his lover, Anak Sunamun, who I think was the... In this movie, she's portrayed to be the mistress of Pharaoh Seti I. And Imhotep is his priest. They hatch a plan to kill the Pharaoh. They do it, but they get caught. Anak Sunamun is killed. And Imhotep is uh, mummified and cursed to, I mean, he's cursed in this little sarcophagus for about 3,000 years with a bunch of uh, beetle-like scarabs. And they ultimately, that's where they find him. They read the incantation. He brings with him, brings with him the 10 plagues. And it's up to the heroes of this film to to stop him. So when did you first see this movie? I think I watched it around 2000, 2001. Uh, I yeah. think I watched it closer to when The Mummy Returns was releasing because mm. a lot of that had a lot more promotion around it because of The Mummy's success. And I was like, hey, okay, let's watch The Mummy as well. Uh, also, around the time I was really into history and Egyptology and stuff. I mean, there are three things that I've been very interested in growing up. One is astronomy, one is paleontology or dinosaurs and Egyptology. These were like, mm-hmm. I, I used to like really nerd out about these things, which is why, you know, like Lord Canaveral and I, I know those names still. In fact, I want to spend some time on the, uh, what he said at the start, right? Which is uh, the Boris Korloff 1932 movie. This was uh, off of the back of a decade of a renewed interest in Egyptology, which was triggered by... 1922 discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb uh, by Howard Carter, sponsored by Lord mm-hmm. Canaveral. Also, uh, another way in which the movie sort of makes a reference to Tutankhamun is Anaksanamun. The name is that it comes from Ankesanamun, which is the name of uh, Tutankhamun's wife, and not. Okay. I mean, if you were to be, yeah. you know, if you were to get pedantic about uh, real history, that's where you get the name from. And again, Tutankhamun, Anaksanamun both refer to the god Amun, Amun-Ra, which is again a yeah. god whose name you hear in the movie. In fact, I think Tutankhamun's dad, Akhenaten, is also a pivotal figure in Egypt- Egyptian history because he tried to pivot the religion away from uh, the worship of Amun to the worship of uh, Aten, which was a god he favored. So there's a whole lot of intrigue and a whole lot of reasons why Akhenaten and the Tutankhamun are so pivotal to uh, the direction that Egyptian royalty took, right? So there's there's all yeah. of this that was... And obviously there was the subsequent air quotes curse of Tutankhamun, which uh, got a lot of airtime, got people interested. So it was on the back of all of this that, uh, you know, I, I guess Universal Pictures capitalized on this buzz and decided to come up with this, you know, Hall of Horrors, whatever, the Gallery of Horrors, mm-hmm. starting with uh, The Mummy. That said, the history of Western fascination with the mummies goes back a little further than even the 1920s. In fact, the 1920s were a uh, a spike in interest after a brief dip in the pre- preceding 20-30 years. Because back in the Victorian era, uh, 1860s to 1880s, uh, mummies were really big because... The Victorian era was when there was this, you know, golden age of rediscovery of historical artifacts across the world, like Mesopotamia, uh, your Levant, uh, Egypt. All of the sites of ancient civilization were now under, primarily under British control, right? British mm-hmm. French control, and therefore these European colonists sent had this whole idea of sending uh, scientists and archaeologists to kind of figure out 
history of civilization and that's when a lot of this came to light and uh, in fact mummies were a big thing in victorian england there was uh, but they were not handled with the sort of care that archaeologists would have today you know hmm. uh, victorians are a lot more blase about uh, archaeological or preservation standards in fact they used to make uh, paint pigments out of uh, the flesh of mummies that they would recover there was a, a pigment shade called mummy brown which when you oh, read of wow. read about it today like these priceless artifacts were just you know being paint out of them but it was also because locals egyptian locals found that hey these mummies that we have lying around so abundantly seem to be fetching a lot of uh, money with the white folks so you know they also used to used to have these grave diggers who would raid tombs you know pull for treasures or mummy mummified bodies themselves and sell them to the brit so there was this whole wave of fascination with mummies in victorian england which sort of dipped in the 1910s and uh, 1900s then again with tutankhamun's uh, tombs discovery it again spiked up and then the movies you know sort of rode that wave i think you had the boris karloff movie in 32 you had the hammer films across the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. uh, you had a bunch of spin offs using uh, the concept of mummies in sort of parody films as well and then with 99 it's i guess it all sort of culminated into what at least for most of us is the definitive you know the mummy film series uh, with brendan fraser so while it might seem like a recent phenomenon i just wanted to highlight the fact that there's a long history of western fascination with mummies with egyptology and egyptian history at large although they make a terrible uh, they, they do a terrible job of uh, depicting it historically or giving locals any representation but i'll come to that point uh, i feel yeah i think uh, with regard this is this is set in 1926 cairo yeah so finally they tried to shoot this in egypt but they couldn't because of some political unrest so naturally next step is to take this to morocco because it's easier to shoot and a lot of the <laughs> of course buildings have this yeah now, even uh, even dire of destiny for that matter goes straight back to tangier uh, and it is that set in like the 1950s uh, no it's what am i saying 1969 so it's set during the moon landing so even mm. that goes to morocco for a for a hot minute so clearly clearly seems to be the uh, the go to spot for action adventure films yeah and i think what what happens is they end up uh, discovering brendan fraser in in this little jail and because he's apparently the only guy to have actually uncovered or discovered the city of hamunapra when he was fighting with his yeah. uh, with his regent there and this is the scene where like he's he's in jail and then they hang him and apparently while shooting the film they really did hang him and it's happened to two people it's happened to him and it's happened to uh, michael j fox i think they both uh, almost died from from these sequences they had to resuscitate brandon fraser uh, during during the sequence I mean, we can laugh at this now, but in in light of what's happened on the set of Rust, it's just that much harder to laugh about these things. It's just like, ooh, okay, ooh, yeah. It's just, you, I mean, we we think Hollywood has all these precautions in place, you know, possibly, but no, it's just everyone's just winging it and hoping things fall into place. So apparently, one of the directors for this film, and I find that so absurd saying this now in 2023, uh, is that. they didn't want a lot of practical effects i think by the 1990s uh, people were sick of practical effects which i find bizarre cuz 
uh, CGI was coming up on the horizon because 93 uh, Jurassic Park had really changed the landscape of what CGI could do uh, when it comes to motion pictures, right? So when uh, when the mummy was being shot, I think there was there were directives being handed out to ILM, who are basically the godfathers of visual effects. Them and Weta side by side have pioneered the visual effects space in uh, in, in the world for the last 20, 20 to 30 years. And the amount of effort that has gone into making this film is is Herculean. Like they had to animate how each muscle part moved. I've, I sat through and watched a lot of the mummies uh, behind the scenes. This was a record high 164 VFX shots uh, for a film at that time. It had never been done before. If you do watch it now, it's not aged well. Like you can clearly tell, like this is the I would still say the first movie still feels okay. Second one, that Scorpion King animation is utter ass. First movie yeah. still like again, again, solid. Like, but there are parts. Yeah, there are parts of it where you're just like, hmm, okay. Like there's the sequence towards the end when Brendan Fraser is basically uh, fighting off the 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 priests. Of uh, when oh, yeah, during yeah, the Anak- yeah, yeah Anakula Moon is being resurrected. Now, behind the scenes, he's fighting thin air, like he's being directed mm-hmm. to just uh, punch and kick and slash, and they animate the corpses in, and it doesn't look very good, especially because they do bring in some practical effects with the uh, with the guards, you know, the, the four menacing guards that they that they pull in. The, the mm-hmm. guards were a mix of CGI and practical. So in the close-ups, obviously they're terrifying, but once they're that mouth drops, the imitative mouth drop, which scared the pants off of us as kids, is obviously uh, CGI. Yeah. And uh, I think even Arnold Vosloo spoke about this in an interview. Uh, Arnold Vosloo is the guy who plays Imitev, and he says he'd never been in a scenario before. He's like, he thought that this was going to hamper his performance. He wouldn't be able to do certain things. So he went to ILM and he told ILM, listen, I don't understand anything you guys do because I'm nowhere as intelligent as you are. You tell me what you need and I will give you exactly that. And which is why even underneath all that makeup in some scenarios and he, and the whole scarab eating sequence, he's, he's a terrifying villain. Uh, yeah. Not just when he's in his mummified form, but again, when he's out, out of his mummified form, he really brings this, uh, this presence, which uh, a lot of films in that genre don't have. They don't have a villain that's truly menacing. Maybe, okay, you could say Raiders and you could probably make the case for uh, Amrish, obviously Amrish Puri for us in Temple of Doom. But the other kind of Indiana films, um, especially Last Crusade, there is no menacing villain at the end. It's the race against time scenario. Uh, and so the same can be said for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, Dial of Destiny, Mads Mikkelsen is is good. He's like, it's Mads Mikkelsen. But he's not something you'd be, uh, you'd call menacing. And I think mm. uh, the, the, the decision to go with an action adventure meets a creature feature uh, is uh, definitely plays a big part in this film because even if you're not like, even if you aren't particularly afraid of horror films or there are points in this film that make you jump. And if you've watched this in the nineties, there are parts in the film, especially when uh, Imhotep goes after the four uh, treasure hunters who've, who've still yes, taken the parts The guy with the eyes uh, who loses his glasses, that entire sequence yeah. is quite scary. Like it doesn't end well for him, right? Because he, he escapes and then Imhotep goes back to him and and yeah. mummifies him in, in, his, in his chambers. So that whole sequence where he is, uh, where they turn into these little husks 
is this quite a it's quite a scary image it is it is in fact um, as you were mentioning the different aspects of the movie i also realized the other point right which is this movie juggles so many multiple genres obviously it's yeah. a period piece because it's about egyptian history it's also a love story which you will get into and like uh, brendan fraser and rachel wise's characters or rick and evelyn's characters have a very nice arc it's very clearly that it is obviously an action adventure movie it's a creature feature it's a horror film it's it's comedy because of uh john hanna's character and because of benny uh in some ways it's also like a white savior movie because you have these you know the the archetype of the noble savages being aided by uh your white characters to sort of set the situation right so but it does all of this it it manages this juggling sort of deftly right because uh think if you think about it within like what less than 2 hours you you've been able to more or less convincingly hit the nail uh on the claim for being any of these kind of movies so mm-hmm. in that sense i i guess it's also why this movie has a lot of rewatch value because on one rewatch you could be like hey i really just want to enjoy the history aspect or the recreation yeah. of history of it the other time you just want to focus on the the romantic plots or the other time you just want to focus on the horror uh, i think i find that i find myself focusing more on that side of the, the of the horror side of it in my more recent rewatches or just the humor right like the famous benny scene where he's like uh, looks like uh, where you've got, got all the horses. horses looks like you're on the wrong side of the river <laughs> <laughs> no and, and that's a and that's a historical like uh, like uh, that's a history joke right because the nile is known to be notoriously wide so yes. for benny to even get the horses and go all around it's going to take him a significantly longer time yeah. which is why i mean obviously it it sounds hilarious in uh when when the moment happens but then if you actually deep it a little more it's like okay uh there's there's a that some real thought went into writing that joke it just wasn't a throwaway line true true and uh again that scene for me has like peak indie energy right it's i mean if you think about the if you, if you spend a minute on the character of rico conn uh they have sort of distilled what works with indy and just sort of heightened it right he's roguish yeah. he he just seems to get away with things he seems to have infinite yeah. luck uh, but at the same time underneath that that uh, rough roguish charm and humor you can see this depth to the character and uh, which which is the foundation on which his relationship with evelyn is built through the movie through the course of the movie so again you need a for these kind of movies to work your protagonist has to be convincing right uh, mm. you look at you look at indiana jones movies you look at uh, westerns which had uh, john wayne or even even pirates of the caribbean movies uh, if if it wasn't for a jack sparrow what is the anchor that holds you to watch the rest of the movie right so mm. i think that's why his character is very important and it i mean full credit to or rather no discredit to rachel weiss or any of the other characters uh, i mean evelyn or uh, her brother jonathan or any of the other characters but if you get them right and still get rick o'connell wrong the movie doesn't work is what i feel yeah oh for, for sure because i think you even like if you look at indiana jones and i mean that's 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 the eight year of of action adventure films right especially the first three Right. the movies don't work without Harrison Ford i mean the supporting cast 
are all there to to prop him up i think rachel wise is very yeah. good in this movie don't get me wrong uh, but the but brendan fraser's roguish charm is what really keeps you coming back because he's nearly in in every uh, every other scene uh, you g- gravitate to him because he's got that yeah. that fine blend of action and comedy and there's a and i don't think there's, there's a better representation of it in in then in the scene where Imitef is uh, is fascinated by Rachel Weisz's character Evelyn, and he's and he's got her up against a wall, and Rick O'Connell comes running through the room, and he turns around, looks at the mummy, and the mummy, and he screams, and then the mummy yeah, screams yeah. at him, and he screams back at the mummy, and, and he shoots him, and he and he runs away, <laughs> like he doesn't, even think, he's like shoot first, ask questions later, ask questions later, yeah, yeah, so and he's like, no, I got him, I'm, I'm pretty sure I got him, so he's not. he doesn't consider himself to be like the brains of uh, behind behind the project far from it he knows what he knows his limits he knows he's a hired hand but he will do whatever he can to get himself out of the situation and uh, i think that's where he differs from indie indie has a scholastic side to him because he is stick of course yeah so yeah i guess there's that you have got to hand that you know one extra point to indiana but yeah other than yeah, that like, it, yeah, I mean, yeah and i barring what barring the holy grail it, India Jones's main obsession with artifacts is just to return them to museums. It's a standard. I think the Holy Grail is the only time where he's like been caught by the allure of it, right? He's had it in his hands and his dad is the one that tells him to let him go, which right. and also that is a lot more altruistic on Indy's part because everyone in this movie is just in it for the do. Right? At yeah. least up until Rick and Evelyn seem to have their spark going on, it's just everyone's just in it for the do. uh basically, which is i think except the other except rachel wise's character rachel wise character yeah, is so actually she, i think yeah, yeah rachel wise and rico connell together sort of form indy i would say they've they've kind of yeah. split his characteristics mm-hmm. into these two uh but that brings me to the other point again not to i'm, I'm not here to sort of criticize the movie uh, far from it because uh, uh i'm i'm i guess i'm maybe more overcompensating for the fact that both abhin and i love this movie so much i know we're going to like wax eloquent about it so i'm just you know getting the problematic stuff out of the way first but uh, the point on the treasures is is it it brings me to the other theme that i wanted to sort of discuss right that obviously this is in 1999 where representation mm-hmm. and political correctness were a lot more in its infancy than they are today you know they found a lot more expression today uh, but do you think if this movie were to be made today it would have the sort of casting it did because uh, a there is you know blatant dis i wouldn't say disrespect more like disregard to the fact that you've set a movie in egypt you have absolutely zero egyptian actors uh, yeah. you you're showing uh, you know the movie starts off starts off with showing the city of thebes it's a city of life and you're showing the pyramids and the sphinx and your with your subtitle say or your your title card saying thebes i'm like bro this is like shitting in the face of geography and if you know for a fact that those things are in cairo why are you saying it in thebes right so it it's clearly fantastical there is i'm not saying that old uh, historicity i mean i'm not saying we are old historicity but you can try so there's yeah that for sure i think so and also throughout the movie last point here the throughout the movie the historical artifacts that aren't gold or silver or you know gems uh, are just shot at and you know they're broken down with with you know without a second thought i mean guys it's still ancient you know these, these things are 3000 years old like can we show it some respect so 
I guess in a in a way it's accurate because that's how people in that time uh, did treat non valuable you know air quotes non valuable artifacts. But uh, it just feels odd watching this uh, in today's day and age when you know there's a lot more sensitivity sensitivity towards these things. The one most egregious thing that struck me was the casting of Oded Fer as Ardith Bey, right? Because dude's Israeli, and if you know your history, picking an Israeli to play uh, a character who is as as died in the wool egyptian as it can get is just like shooting political correctness in the face <laughs> this is the worst possible national order nationality you could pick a guy from so clearly that wasn't uh, something that they had prioritized <laughs> and nobody even mentioned this right like i don't think this is this was ever brought up uh, as some sort of yeah. i'm guessing public discourse at the time was not sensitive to or aware of these topics a lot more yeah uh, I, I, especially yeah. with uh, with regards to uh, you know with with regards to casting choices and i would always bring this i think for for me personally there has been no egregious uh, casting choice uh, more egregious rather than uh, that of divya narendra in, in the social network and i, I for <laughs> me it, it absolutely just It, it, I love the social network. You know how much I love the social network. But yeah. having to see Max Mengele play a very brown dude. If you've seen Divya Narendra, he's a, such a brown dude. Max Mengele is the polar opposite. So, <laughs> and that that movie came out in 2010. So I don't think mm. people give a shit about representation. Funnily enough, till let's say till about four dude, years. They made ago. Rachel Weisz half Egyptian. Evelyn is half Egyptian or something, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. One, uh, one of her parents is like the whitest person in Egypt, right? For her to look like this. <laughs> Yeah, because isn't in the second movie, right? And I'm spoilers for the Mummy Returns, guys. Sorry, a two, a twenty-year-old movie at this point. Uh, isn't she the reincarnation of uh, Nefertiti in in the second yeah, movie? Yeah, in, in, yeah, she is. So she's Seti's daughter. I'm like, is is he fine? Is he like having sex with Casper, the ghost, or something? Like, how is his daughter looking? <laughs> And I think uh, isn't Nefertiti yeah. also supposed to be like a, a few hundred years older than Seti, or is it the same era? I, I mean. uh seti the first was again i'm i'm forgetting uh nefert yeah nefertiti is i mean it's on the same timeline for sure yeah. at least yeah. 150 years off if not 4 to 500 years off yeah so this movie is not going for historical accuracy by any is this picking names which either are familiar or names which sound egyptian right yeah so, okay you have nefertiti nefertari these are known names Uh, Imhotep, you may have heard if you've heard of Paul Scarlock movies. Anaxenamun, Seti, and I mean Seti was a real uh, ruler, not in a different. Mm-hmm. So they pick some names, saying, "Hey, this sounds Egyptian enough. Let's let's put it there." Hamunapra doesn't even exist, right? So <laughs> they just created that name out of thin air. But half of the film is like, okay, fine. Yeah, extreme high fiction. I think half of the film you're just like, okay, I I get it. I get that. There is like that part of me I I clearly cannot placate because this is not the movie for it. I'm just yeah. going to go along for the ride. Yeah, extreme high fiction. I think half of the film you're just like, okay, I I get it. I get that. There is like that part of me I I clearly cannot placate because this is not the movie for it. I'm just yeah. going to go along for the ride. But you have fun on the ride, right? Like they also yeah, have like, these very nice ingenious scenes <laughs> where you know the whole. Funny you, but yeah. Funny the you mentioned right. Why? Oh, the mummy ride. Yeah, yeah. I've sat yeah. on that. So, you know, yeah. So, uh, in the University of Singapore. So, 
here's before, I mean, I'm sorry for breaking down the conversation. I think we'll get back to it. But the Mummy ride is one of the most successful Universe Studio rides since, I don't know, Time Memorial. And when it's they first opened, yeah, it, it's so good. It's so much fun. Yeah, We yeah. did, did the ride at least three, four times. And if you haven't done it, it I had the longest line. It had the longest line in Universal of any ride. Yeah, for, for sure. I, but when I visited, I think this was 10, 12 years ago, Singapore, uh, there was nobody there. So we just like went about three times with <laughs> with no issues. But I, I fully get like when it, uh, there have been sto- legendary stories about the, about the lines uh, for the mummy ride. And when things got really uh, like hot, right? And it was, and people were getting irritated, they'd break the tension by uh, reenacting a sequence from the movie, uh, which I didn't know. So like the, uh, all the people in the line would start chanting Emotef, like, like go Emotef, Emotef, <laughs> which is something we did at a music festival years ago, but no correlation. I had no idea that this was, uh, this was a thing in the Universal Studios line, but it's, it's a really nice fact to have, uh, to have dug up that, oh, people did have, like this movie really resonated with a lot of people. It's, uh, I remember, I mean, again, I, this was in 2007, so it's over 15 years since I was on the ride. This was in the one in Orlando. But uh, mm. again, I remember like a half an hour, 40 minute line. And it, it's like a roller coaster meets a haunted house sort of experience, yeah. which is quite unique. It's, it's a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, coming back to what I was saying, right? About ingenious sequences in the film. They really do this. I feel in a way they sort of... Uh, presaged these puzzle games like a portal and stuff where you know you have these puzzles that they need to solve there's one where they need to rearrange mirrors for this beam of light to strike at a particular place and this also sort of plays into egyptian tropes which are you know they had a lot of booby traps and uh, stuff like that which also comes from you know that same history of the curse of tutankhamun and in fact when howard Mm -hmm. carter broke open uh broke open the tomb of Tutankhamun. People who went in initially came out having a lot of cough and they felt jaundice. That was because, I mean, you're breathing in 3,000-year-old air, which, you know, there's been no circulation. What are you expecting? Mm. But it came from that very real phenomenon. You had these stories built out of, you know, fanciful stories saying these uh, pharaohs had booby-trapped their tombs and you tried to open it and stuff happens to you. And this movie liberally plays that aspect of uh, up, but it's to great effect, right? It's, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. You see these sort of them solving these things, and uh, even the, the the fat jailer guy when he takes the scarab out, it backfires on him because it is it is something that uh, he's not supposed to do, and, and you know the scarab activates and and bites him or something. So while it comes from a problematic place, I I would say problematic because it it feels almost tokenistic to have to mm-hmm. play to these your uh, Egyptian tropes. It's, it's outcome is fun. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, those scenes are nice and they're memorable. The scarab, now that you think about those, those things freak the fuck out of me as a child. Um, yeah. I mean, like, how did they enter? There's no incision it made to enter your skin. It's scientifically, like, where did it enter from? And what is it doing under your skin? It's messed up. Does it not make the incision? Like, doesn't it not, does it not cut through the hand and then goes up? Like, cause he picks it, he holds it in his hand. And it cuts through his palm and then like... There's no blood, I'm, I'm guessing. Because of the PG-13 yeah. thing, they don't show any blood. So it just feels unrealistic. Like, what did it like get in and then sew itself shut behind it? What, what happened? Apparently, and this is something I did not know, is that 
when Imhotep was cursed, the scarabs were cursed with him. So they spent three thousand years uh, of eating each other, which is why, you know, when that scarab goes into his mouth, he ends up eating it. Mm. Uh, and so it's just like it's supposed. That's why they're still alive. So when he when they really when they open his tomb or when they ultimately discover the city, the scarabs are like, what the hell? Uh, they have also been forced to uh, live live to eternity. Feasting on anything. So basically, when the when the tomb was opened, they were like, "Hey, buffet!" <laughs> Some of it is really creep me out, and I remember because like they scuttle like little cockroaches, right? And that it yeah. it enhances the the real world fear of of insects, or right? fear rather the ick of insects. Yeah, true, true. Uh, the the last. I mean, not last. I have a couple of points. The other point I want to <laughs> talk about. I want to spend a brief minute on. uh the in the impractical hotness of the cast across the board right <laughs> like how does how do any of these guys get any work done I, i would not be able to focus like look at brendan fraser look at rachel weiss look even arnold wasloo for that matter patricia yeah. velasquez i would even put sort of shuhan john hanna in there odet fair uh, like guys odet fair is my god he's like he's just smoldering throughout If all of these were to be in one room, they'd be like fuck the mission. They'd just be all, like instant orgy or something, right? Like, <laughs> how are you supposed to focus on the story in this movie? I don't know. It's very hard. Nineteen twenties people were uh, weren't as horny as they were today. I assume, especially the lead pair. I mean, both of them. I mean, Rachel Weisz. The lead pair, also, yeah, Rachel Weisz really committed to the thin eyebrow, right? Because you. I'm, I kept wondering what's wrong with her face, and then I realized the eyebrows. She has these little pencil thin eyebrows, and when you like look at Rachel Weisz's face, generally you associate the big bushy eyebrows that she has. Yeah. So it's very strange to see her in this film with those weird pencil eyebrows. Uh, you are they're gone, eyebrows. but okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ruth, <laughs> but yeah. Continuing on, barring Rachel uh, Weiss's eyebrows, I think. I mean, I, I can film, equally spend uh, as much time talking about Brendan Fraser. Man was peak at like looks wise at that point. Peak his charm, hair is every, just, yeah, yeah, his hair is a, a feat of like wonder, dude. It has like it. It was living in the Jennifer Aniston era of hair. It was uh, his hair know, did not know he was in a desert environment. Like it's supposed to be dry. Yeah, not how your hair is supposed to look. What's your conditioning routine, especially for please, like please. that kind of heat? Please, please do tell. <laughs> But um, the best, yeah. What's the best part of the movie for you? Um, my favorite scene, I would say, uh, I have two. One is the you know the flashback army scene, right? When nineteen twenty three, when that the Magi are going to attack Rick O'Connell's unit, yeah, and Benny yeah. Uh, abandons him at the last moment. And, It's got action. It's got comedy, and when the whole tomb thing, Imhotep's tomb, that face in the sand comes up. So again, within a scene, you see it jump across uh, three genres. So I, I enjoyed yeah. that scene. The other one I enjoy is the part where she's reading from the book, uh, and the preceding scene when she's drunk and she has a conversation with Rico Connell, and then immediately after she reads from the book and awakens the mummy. You can, uh, the film is kind of signaling to you, hey, you know. it starts building dread like hey something's going to happen this is this is that pivotal moment and then you're like don't do it don't do it and then she reads from it and then that the head curator gets up and is like oh no what have you done and you feel sort of you get the same emotion he has you're like what have you done evelyn like 
you it takes the, the the cabin yeah the cabin in the woods book hidden book concept and expands it out like yeah. it's it's like it's like evil dead but in egypt yeah exactly and yeah it's it's got that same sort of uh, campy body body horror feel to it that evil dead does not as much obviously evil dead is yeah that feeling is central to what makes evil dead work but uh, again there are parts where Imhotep the mummy is very scary which we've already discussed but even the part where the the same scene right when Rico Connell enters the room and uh, he sees Imhotep Imhotep screams he screams they've they've also mined horror comedy from the horror of horror, yeah and when he throws yeah. the cat at uh, Imhotep he recoils and you know whatever he tornadoes away or he he swishes yeah. away so those are those are i would say more campy than like outright horror right? so it's it's got that sort of feel to it uh, again another genre to add uh, to the juggling list that the movie uh, pulls off so yeah it's it's got i don't know uh, I, i i do see shades of evil dead like you mentioned uh, it takes inspirations from all of these i feel uh, which begs the question right if, if stephen somers got this lightning in a bottle not once but twice in in mummy returns as well what did he do after this like where did he go van helsing <laughs> oh yeah he did that which is again it's it's rated like 26% like fuck critics dude the movie is awesome i have a lot of fun with van helsing i mean i've watched it recently the cg is not is terrible it has a very weird dracula performance like richard roxburgh is like doing a broadway show yeah um, it's very weird and, yeah it's is very strange and it's it, it seems like uh, like this Uh, like a gothic take on the whole vampire universe because i think universal really liked what he both the mummy and the mummy returns were huge commercial successes and uh, stephen somers i think was and van helsing again did well but was critically panned and since i don't know his career took a bit of a dive because he did gi joe rise of cobra which is which has arnold vosloo in it and which is a movie i think that's the it, it's it's a movie i mean <laughs> it has uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt as Cobra Commander so just like the most before Jesse Eisenberg was Lex Luthor Joseph Gordon Levitt was Cobra Commander uh, which i find still absurdly stupid yeah. but coming back to this right i think the funnily for me the best part of the film was uh was Kevin J O'Connor's Benny i think Benny really brings this film's uh you know humor because he's yeah. if you think about yeah. most of the funny scenes in this film i think between him and almost Jonathan, always say, but primarily benny yeah like you think at benny the opening where he runs away from um, <laughs> from from <laughs> from the start that turn. then the obviously the okara other it seems to be i have got all the horses and then the other part is where imotev runs into him and he starts pulling out yeah, different yeah. chains of different religions <laughs> in order to chant and it's hebrew that ultimately limitev understands and he's like oh you will be a good servant to me uh, and uh, of he uh, and off they go on this little journey together right and even the even in the end i think it's his, his greed is what ultimately costs him because repeatedly throughout the film his greed uh, almost costs him but he keeps getting away with it and finally towards the end he's in the room and he's like oh my god there's so much treasure and and you know uh, Oh god, it's like dude just get the fuck out of here. This whole place is collapsing. And ultimately it costs him and then the scarabs come circling in. 
and I, I know really like I know he he deserved the ending. I know like it it really tied his arc very neatly. I would have loved to see him in the Mummy Returns because I think they give a lot of the 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 comedy to John Hannah to carry, and he does a good job of it. I I still find the Mummy Returns to be an entertaining film. Uh, I did watch it as well um, in the days after this, like a like a late night thing when I was having some food. It's not as good. Clearly, not as good. Yeah, uh, it's got definitely got a bigger budget, and yeah. that Scorpion King ending really throws me off. It's it it is. It was bad in two thousand two. It is worse. It is bad when it released only. I was like, dude. I mean, the poor. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying the words "poor Dwayne Johnson" because this was what his the start of his career, right? He'd just been branching out from WWF to uh, to movies. He'd done Walking Tall. He'd been pulled into this, and they gave him a spinoff. I think they felt so bad they gave him a spinoff that I've seen a fair few times. Call this yeah, this kind of yeah, it's uh, again, it's a movie. It's a movie, yeah. It's it's not <laughs> not a very good movie. It's it's, it's a movie. Yeah. Um, but I I really love uh, Benny in, in the first film. I really love the humorous aspects of uh, of the first film. And I think I get exactly what you're saying, right? You you love to hate him, but at the same time, you don't want to see him go away. Yeah. Like keep this guy on screen. I, like I'm yeah. he's. Like he's a slimy, like dirty little fucker, but who's got hilarious comic timing. And every time, you know, like uh, Brendan Fraser keeps like starts throwing him around from place to place. It's it's so hilarious. He really pulls yeah. off those scenes. I was watching it, and I was and I was still laughing. Like I was like, oh, about twenty years later on, this movie's com- comedy has not aged. I mean, has aged perfectly. So, mm-hmm. and and that's just one aspect of the film because there have been even now the whole like we mentioned, mentioned earlier about the husks, the the final sequence where Imhotep is basically throwing them around uh, that little chamber where he's resurrecting Anaxana Moon, and Jonathan is trying to read it read off the book. Yeah. While being chased around by uh, by Anaxuna Moon's dead, <laughs> like mummified cops. Second movie? No, no, no. Like she's she's in the mummified. Uh, like she's. Oh, mummified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, correct, correct, correct. Uh, the second movie. In the second one. Yeah. yeah, in the second movie, she resurrects him. Like they correct, resurrect correct, her first, correct. and then they bring him back, right? So, and this is the one where I think even the. The guards are attacked. Then he he managed to finally get the get hold of the guards, and the guards are the ones that stab Anaxuna Moon. And then they read the the incantation, and uh, the guards must be like, "Oh damn! It's the last <laughs> thing we are supposed to do. We're fucked, bro." Not just not even that. She reads the incantation, and uh, Brendan Fraser stabs Imhotep, right? And Imhotep yeah. pulls him further in, and. I remember like watching the film and I'm like, oh, I remember this line. I remembered it all, uh, like all my, like, like ever since I watched it, every time I watched the movie, the one line I remember is he's mortal because when she stabs him and then he realizes that, like, Kamadev realizes that, oh, oh shit, shit just got real and he falls into that little river sticks like uh, mm. pond in the middle of the room. I was like, oh, damn. Like such a cool payoff to the end. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. That's what I think. In in that respect, the movie. I don't know. Like I was reading some reviews about uh, the movie written at the time. They said the script was weak. 
uh and the screenplay could have been better i'm like what more do you want guys like it's tight the the story is coherent things that are set up in the first or second act of the movie have a payoff at the end honestly what more do you need this this movie takes all the box i mean as a great theater experience or a great viewing experience in general i watched this on television i remember i watched it on a friday night because uh, i clearly was not allowed to go watch this in movie theaters my mother saw one took one look at the post and went no so one i remember on a friday night like we, i just sat home and i it was playing on cable television and i loved it I, by the end of it i was like oh this is so good uh, and i told my dad i said if you watch the mummy it's like and i described it to him and he said come with me and we went and uh, we went to the dvd store and said do you have readers of the lost ark they said no but we have temple of doom and he handed me temple of doom so <laughs> that's the that's how i was introduced to nia jyoti it's like this movie was nice but this is this is where it's at this is this is like the the films you should be watching i was like cool and my my life has not been the same since <laughs> so uh, ebert uh, also wrote yeah. yeah he also wrote a few thoughts on this film and he was he and cisco but cisco not so much but i think he was definitely writing around this time right he said there is within me an un uh, staked uh, hunger for preposterous adventure films I I resist the bad ones but when a Congo or an Anaconda comes along my heart leaps up and I cave in. The Mummy is a movie like that. There is hardly a thing I can say in its favor except that I was cheered by nearly every minute of it. I cannot argue for the script, the direction, the acting or even the mummy, but I can say that I was not bored and sometimes I was unreasonably pleased. There is little immaturity stuck away in the crannies of even the most judicious of us and we should treasure it. A couple of the movies that he mentioned in that quote also bring me to the last point that i want to mention again slightly serious yeah, sure. point but uh, stuff he mentioned congo uh, set in africa anaconda set in south america a lot of these swashbuckling movies have a very you know the colonists are good sort of point of view i i wouldn't go so far as to call it white savior although i could but uh, think about it right definitely you, you yeah, definitely indiana jones set in Wherever Egypt, Raiders of the Lost Ark is Egypt. Then you have uh, uh, Last Crusade. Yeah. Is I mean, shot in Petra. I don't know what they what it's set in. Jordan, it's uh, Jordan. So Jordan, Jordan. Uh, again, Mummy is in the Egypt. You have all of your John Ford, John Wayne westerns where you have the the white frontiersman or the white pioneer overcoming what are essentially the Native Americans who are shown as bad folks, right? the savages yeah. the violent and stuff like that even the pirates of the caribbean movies you have essentially uh, european sailors coming to south america caribbean or the caribbean uh, the locals don't really get a say uh, or aren't accurately represented or I, i would i would go so far as to say they're misrepresented in this movie classic case yeah. being temple of doom what we started the episode off with right yeah. I and mean, you have the whole scene with monkey brain chilled monkey brain i'm like chilled monkey brain <laughs> we're not like this and there is i'm sure if 10 people in the us watch this movie at least five of them will be like hey this is exactly what india is like yeah and that's I, temple of doom and all of these movies are rep- misrepresenting all of these things right i'm sure that there's people in the us who or people in europe who have great misconceptions about egypt or the levant because of stuff they've seen in these movies or even about native americans it's, it's So yes, you know the movies are because they're light-hearted because they're a, a, a romp of a time. They can get away with it, but underlying, 
this subliminal message that gets passed about the other in the film is problematic yeah uh i think so i mean coming back to temple of doom right it's uh, if they remove that whole chill monkey brain sequence like i i i've seen it so many times i know the entire like scene by heart it begins with the snake and then they start bringing in the other creatures and yeah. the snake surprise uh <laughs> which is like it's if you take that sequence out of the film and you keep the rest of it i don't have a, i don't have a single problem with the film i guess this it represents the tagi cult and this movie came to me at a time where i was really interested in what the tagi cult's uh, problem was because i think what problem. 1800s <laughs> like the famous what's the problem version. dude why are you strangling people catch all right <laughs> yeah i don't know what's happening but yeah Uh, and it's supposed to be a prequel temple of doom is set before it is of the last arc yeah so, yeah so it's i mean it feels like a very different film and i think because of the criticism it receives spielberg course corrected and if you watch the last crusade it's a very light hearted film it's basically raiders light and even though uh, i think they try and incorporate a little more of the uh, the the people that that <laughs> that are equal that are involved in this scenario i think uh, they have a in readers i thought readers are sorry in, in the last to said there's a brotherhood that is saving that is that is trying to save keep the holy grail a secret and uh, they have that conversation uh, on the boat and they they like they play a lot a bigger part in the film but coming back to the whole point that it feels like this is a playground for two colonial forces to kind of go against each other india jones exactly. is all about fighting the nazis the nazis and every the playground that the nazis exactly uh, it's like two european powers destroying 1000 year old artifacts in egypt for their own little power play yeah um I, one of them has slightly good intentions but in terms of like in, they're they're all chasing glory right of some form of some form of the other like in the nazis want any anything possible to make hitler win the war there's a very uh dial of destiny does does something that's very uh that one could say jump the shark i remember when i watched it like you know how the, the every india jones has this big reveal at the end where like a supernatural reveal at the end and mm-hmm. dial of destiny is no different this is probably the first time i watched an india jones film and went okay that this is a little comedic it might be a little absurd it's a little comedic and uh, it's not like funnily and, and and thankfully it's not set in uh, you know in 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 a population where the culture is is vastly different that's all i'll say so like it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like the movie is shooting at indigenous people and that's probably the only credit i can give uh, <laughs> the film when it comes to that aspect it's set during the moon landing and you know and this film it's a disney film it's very sanitized so i feel like they would basically ran through a checkbox of things of uh, to make sure that the film did and in spite of that it's still not well reviewed for for some reason or the other no i'm guessing you can't really do these things anymore i i i feel in that sense black panther was a watermark film right where yeah. black panther put representation so front and center as part of its proposition to the audience is saying hey here we are serious about telling the black story uh, and not african american story we're, we're going like og black right you know we're yeah. telling the african story so that's how i see it i don't know i could be wrong but it's like this up until that point you could probably get away with it saying hey guys storytelling it's like but 
uh, or whatever you know it's a it's a fun movie i think black panther i don't mean this in a bad sense sort of sucked the fun out of these sort of movies like no even if you're making these sort of movies you have to take these pc boxes and you have to have a representation i, I don't even think like keeping that in mind would suck the life out of these movies cuz you want a film that ticks along like i think it's the characters that really make the film for what they are cuz even mm-hmm. uh going back to readers i know i know sala is played by john rice davies again <laughs> 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 uh, I mean, this is this is famous in the industry where uh, Mickey Rooney played a Japanese man in Breakfast at Tiffany's, one of the most revered films of all time. So I, I'm not surprised. Uh, I, I I don't think you require those boxes being ticked to make a good action adventure film, because if you go back from the Mummy, I think what there haven't been like name an action adventure movie that you've liked since the Mummy. that was king of the crystal skull came out in 2008 and it has notoriously been disliked by the majority of people national treasure is a film that i've i've liked and it it's set primarily in america nicholas cage is it's it's a fun film is it better national than the mummy treasure i don't know is i don't it's definitely not better than the mummy but at least national treasure doesn't have these problematic elements to it right it's it like he, the story is about fucked up white people from the past and fucked up white people today are like breaking white people shit to like figure this thing out and are you know are, are chasing some treasure which it's all contained within america it's in that sense at least it's hard is in the right place probably the only sense in which it's hard is in the right place but again it's a fun movie it uh, it it is uh, it's not swashbuckling uh, nicolas cage isn't an action hero in the traditional sense he's a lot nerdier than arico con but uh, it's a fun watch it it doesn't denigrate other people or either it doesn't uh, highlight its protagonist at the cost of denigrating other people and yes, um, for sure. so in that sense it's a it's a clean movie i mean i don't know if the term is right but yeah and i i don't think even for a second i was watching the film where i was i mean clearly not because i was as a child at the time and i feel the, the older you get the more aware you are of the the yeah. underlying uh, issues at hand now uh but coming back to my point about the death of action adventure films because i feel everything has become such a cgi fest these days and with the rise of superhero films you don't get to see these kind of movies anymore and i really like these kind of movies because one it doesn't always have to be set on a green screen it like you can like these big set pieces then pulling historical uh, artifacts from history that don't really exist uh there's no there's no good action adventure film to have come out since this since this that i've really liked even tomb of the dragon emperor i barely remember i remember watching even rachel wise and bother showing up and <laughs> uh, it, it has funnily enough it has the the two oscar winners for this year in the same movie because michelle yeo is also in it as, as with brendan fraser but it's not not a very good movie i think rob <laughs> cohen directed it Imagine a retroactive like trailer for the movie featuring Oscar winner Brendan Fraser. Watch the movie like this shit, bro. It's a terrible film. I think ultimately killed the franchise. You know what? You could you could have had a such such a great franchise of uh, historically set action adventure movies if uh, the makers of the Assassin's Creed movie hadn't shit the bed entirely with their adaptation. There was that could have been such a good yeah. 
there was an opportunity there and i don't know what they decided to do with it it was it was yeah, because the games me. are they do that right they they even in terms of the places they go to it's not it ticks those boxes they're 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 not denigrating anyone they tell an interesting story they i think 8 out of 10 times they have protagonists that you can relate to root for it's all there how did you mess it up so badly <laughs> continuing on with the trend right uh i think the action adventure genre basically went to live in on live on consoles soon after because I guess, uncharted yeah. 1 2 3 oh yeah one. uncharted is the is yeah. the yeah is the could like it does not exist without indiana jones i mean it is the correct, and it also correct. once again ticks the boxes because you have the first one is set i think in in the it's basically you you're tracing sir francis drake's journey and and the and the road to eldorado i think the first one is eldorado the second one is is shambhala but that's up in nepal and the third i think again is similarly it, it is the sands of time or something like atlantis they're looking for the city of atlantis um i could be wrong and and the fourth is uh, is set i'd like to say in madagascar yeah and the uncharted stories are insane great stories so much fun right like you have you have a great that, blueprint of what yeah. what works and then the movie came out and it they, it was a serviceable <laughs> film yeah it wasn't terrible i enjoyed it yeah. because i haven't played the game so i don't hate the movie as much i guess like i don't i don't get the out i don't empathize with the outrage of uh Mark Wahlberg's casting as Sully because I don't know Sully either and I haven't played. Yeah, I enjoyed it, but I was like, yeah, this is a middling movie. It's nothing pathetic. What was the last good action adventure film? Was the did you like the Adventures of Tintin? Yeah, that was a good film. I mean, I wouldn't watch it yeah. again. It is it's it's boring, but it's a good one time watch. Yeah, and uh, the 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 rickshaw sequence of that movie, you know, where where they're flying through. Like I don't know what down yeah, yeah. there it and then it is this is this finally yeah. it's him swinging on that that is epic it's a one take I mean it's animation but it's still a one yeah take. it's I think what very heavily inspired the the Tangier sequence in Dial of Destiny because I was watching it and I went oh this is the Tintin sequence uh, <laughs> like it, the the rickshaw chase and and all of it so it, I don't know why that movie never got a sequel because they basically went off I mean if you I'm a big Tintin guy I've I my love for action adventure films obviously. comes some reading as well right because tintin was such mm-hmm. a big part of my childhood and uh, this what this is this is split between the secret of the unicorn and red rackham's treasure and they're both such interesting stories and they i don't know spielberg and peter jackson funny enough spielberg once again just dropped the idea of of pursuing this and it just never went anywhere i think primarily because if the us audience particularly doesn't care for tintin here the rest of the world uh, we love that guy yeah Dumbass Americans. I'm I'm thinking, what is the last good adventure movie? And I, the fact, what is the reason that I can't think of? And I think, a, it is, or either I, it goes back to your point, right? The CGIification of movies just doesn't make the stakes feel real. Yeah, action doesn't seem visceral, and you're like, yeah, all of this very floaty. You know, CGI is very floaty that way. It's like uh, punches don't land. Yeah, like punches don't land. You know, body blows don't feel like it's doing anything. It's like yeah, these two people are swinging at thin air. We can we can see you know they weren't in front of each other in reality. I'm like yeah, whatever. Like I don't care what happens to them. It's, it's, I mean that's happened to me with Marvel. I don't give a shit anymore. So. <laughs> 
coming to my my last point i mean continuing on the trend of where are the action adventure films where are the indian action adventure films why have we as a society allowed the jump from no action adventure films to straight up cgi superhero movies because uh uncharted funnily enough i'm going to coming back to uncharted uncharted uh has a dlc or like a, has a smaller game uh it's called the lost legacy and it's set in south india uh it's and one of the protagonists is, is half indian chloe fraser her father's and she and it's set around the tamil nadu region and it's the quest for searching for ganesha's uh, tusk because <laughs> there is an in the in the hoysala region so it's set in the western ghats no uh, sorry uh, the reason i'm laughing is uh, when you said south india i was thinking are there historical adventure films set in south india and i got reminded of uh, rudraksh the rudraksh <laughs> <laughs> technically it takes all your boxes right it does but it's a kind of film historic yeah so maybe it's because those experience because those experience people like, you know fuck that jordan we're not even touching that with a 10 foot pole we don't want another rudraksh in our lives is that the only film to have come out to rudraksh I mean, since the 80s and you tell me rudraksh was such a shitty and frosted hair tips this was 2004 2005 it, a terrible film uh there are many adventure films rooted in history that come to my mind at least i mean you have adventure films per se i mean rohitchetti exists right so uh, <laughs> have those. i mean they're not i didn't I, you never said they had to be good right? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay but where are the good ones do, dude but, uh, but where is the where is that swashbuckling hero that is suddenly uh going after this mysterious artifact that this rival faction wants needs for their nefarious needs uh aided by this really smart uh female lead mart ko dar nahi hota is that the film i mean it it's set in the current age but it has a very offbeat charming hero and a very capable female companion i won't say sidekick she's equal parts right so Uh, and you have a very compelling villain uh, in uh, Gulshan Devaya's character. No, Gulshan Devaya is his mentor kind of figure, and yeah, yeah, and and his twin brother is also played by Gulshan that's Devaya. That's that's a superhero movie, right? Basically, right? It's like meant to be. It's a superhero movie where he doesn't have super. His superpower is that he doesn't feel pain. Doesn't feel pain. Yeah, genetic condition. So yeah. it's a nice movie. It's it's not set in history, but it's it's, it's washbuckling in its own way. That's the only movie I can think of. I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but uh, good movie that yeah. I watched recently. It's kind of sad. The Mummy came out nearly what twenty, twenty three, twenty two years ago. I'm telling you, it's Rudraksh. It just came and killed any potential the genre had. Let me talk it, about. Look at Sunil Shetty, and you're just sold, guys. And I'm never watching. Yeah, you know, I, I, I forgot, we we forgot to bring this up. We forgot to bring this up uh, before we wrap this episode up and talk about how the Mummy is the last kid. action adventure film uh to be made we have to talk about the reboot because uh the next episode on this series guys is mission impossible <laughs> which one we don't know yet but it is only right that we address the the flaming turd that was the 27 reboot 27 2017 have to a quick quick 5 minutes because i i was really scared that tom cruise was about to shit all over brendan fraser's legacy because up until that point brendan fraser starting the 2010s had kind of disappeared mm-hmm. uh he not he'd been gone through a very uh, tough time in his career 
this was coming out and i was afraid that uh it was about to like wipe the legacy of the 1990 film, 99 film and it did anything but that in fact it kind of bolstered it to that for the other film's legacy because this was so bad uh, this was a, a terrible terrible film uh written by directed by robert kurtzman i should have known then only and it spent so much time setting up this dark universe that uh universal really got excited with because the marvel was doing so well and they tried shoehorning that and then not realizing that they had to like also put tom cruise as the as the face of this film i don't even remember tom cruise's name in this movie i think his name is nick something yeah and there's jake johnson who's playing this undead character and uh, russell crowe is dr jekyll and he's supposed to be like the nick fury of this group Annabelle Wallace is also in here as some uh like a damsel in distress doesn't do much uh, Sofia what's her name Butella no who uh the the, the what's her name huh no no Sofia Butella Sofia Butella the uh, the dancer the french actress she was a climax um she's the she plays the mummy in this movie so oh wow. yeah and uh, they try to recreate the uh, the iconic face in the in this in the cloud in the sky Water. sand such a scenario mm-hmm. and it's terrible like the 1991's version was it looks cheesy but it's still a lot of fun it is infinitely better though uh, thank god i mean the only swash buckling i wouldn't say swash it is swash buckling and the movie we're going to discuss next week is swash buckling it's Yeah, it's probably the only franchise we have where we can depend. I mean, it's dependable enough to keep churning out these movies that we love to watch on the big screen. Uh, For sure, it's what we're going to be talking about next week. But yeah, coming back to answer the question that started it all, I don't remember any good. Uh, what I would say, the closest I can think of is Singham, but even Singham is not. Uh, it's, it's not. Uh, it's not. It's not historical action adventure. Any stretch. I'm thinking action comedy. It's it's not even action. It's not. It's not. It's it's far cry. There is no movie. Like yeah. Guys, yeah. I'm looking at the camera now. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> Where are our films, dude? <laughs> like, come on! I don't want to see Brahmastra too. I want to see like. Hey, yeah, Pony and Selvan. Why are we Why are we having such a Bollywood? Pony and Selvan uh, is is a historical out. epic. It's it's not a it's 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 not an Indiana Jones light. Okay, it doesn't have the humorous aspect as much, and yeah, it does come from a very serious epic. I'm, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm it, trying. <laughs> it does not exist, unfortunately. But that's why the Mummy is still so good, and it's it's such a fun, breezy watch. Uh, one of my favorite action adventure films. Uh, go so far as to call it in my top five action adventure films of all time. Um, if you have not seen it, how have you not seen this movie? Yeah. It is everywhere. It's, uh, it's a lot more easily in my top five because I haven't watched. Uh, I mean, now I have watched three Indian films. Indian films, yeah, still in my top five. Which three have you watched? The trilogy. The original. Good. Stop. I mean, I've mean, <laughs> watched Dial of Destiny. I wouldn't say it don't because uh, at eighty years old, I hope to be as active as Harrison Ford. Is what I'll say, man. That man is just. I am on a Harrison Ford binge now. Uh, I've been watching a lot of his older films, like his late eighties to early nineties. so nice it, well, such such a good such presence i think and we we don't we will never see the likes of him ever again or that kind of actor ever again 
Mm. He's the last of a dying breed. But if the if Brendan Fraser decides to return for the Mummy, I think he showed up at a screening uh, as part of his PR tour uh, for the Whale. And he showed up in in the costume at at a screening in London and said, "If they're making, if they want to make a sequel, I'm always in. Uh, I have never been this unsalaried and, un, and unemployed for so long, but yet been so in demand. So I'm definitely uh, uh, he can play him, ready to come back. No, I wanted to be Rick O'Connell. Let let him be Rick O'Connell." Old man, Rick. Yeah, old man. Like he'll have to really, yeah, shed the shed the kilos. Yeah, but yeah, I, I watched that. I watched that. Yeah. Okay, that's us. Yes. Uh, on this week, we're back with Mission Impossible next week, and then uh, we got to pick one of the movies, right? One of the movies. I yeah, we'll figure that out. Until then, we fall out, fall out, fall out. Probably going to be fallout. <laughs> I'm like I'm taking the. I'm like, okay, is it going to be Ghost Nation? Will it be Rogue Nation? Uh, no, what Ghost Protocol? Ghost uh, Protocol. Rogue Nation. Uh, and it's probably going to be fallout. I love fallout. Yeah. It's fallout. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. <laughs> we'll see you on the next episode, everyone. Take care. Bye bye. So they opened their big mouths, and out came talk, talk, talk. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn.